welcome to the Brownstoner podcast. I'm your host, Josh Schneps, publisher of Brownstoner. My guest today is Adam Hess, a veteran commercial real estate broker with Meridian Capital. Welcome, Adam. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Very excited to be here. That's our pleasure. So you focus on sales and marketing for multifamily and mixed-use properties in Brownstone, Brooklyn, including Northwest and Central Brooklyn, from Carroll Gardens to Crown Heights and beyond. What are some of the concerns and issues that are top of mind right now for your clients, especially during COVID? Listen, I think the concern that is most prominent for the landlords that I work with is, you know, something that's not unique to New York. I think it's something that is all around the country becoming a concern and that's vacancy rates, right? So both retail vacancy rates and residential vacancy rates. So, you know, we've had clients who bought properties from us pre-COVID and, you know, they call up and say, well, look, I've got three vacant apartments and the retail is leaving. It's a daycare. They can't continue operating their business. So I think that people are really attuned right now to watching very closely the statistics, both for the New York region and nationally, what the vacancy rates are. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and what we see in the underwriting, we've seen banks underwriting 100% vacancy on the retail, right? Meaning they're not counting the retail income in what they're underwriting the value of the property is for the loan. So, you know, I think that that's really the, the, the top worry that most owners are looking at. You know, other owners are saying, buyers are looking at deals and saying, hey, yeah, the, the owner's getting great rents now, but I think those rates are falling. I think the, the, uh, the, the rents are going to actually decrease and not stay steady as historically in Brooklyn, they have stayed steady. And, you know, Brooklyn went an amazing run from 2008, 2009 to probably 2016, where rents were going up five and 10% a year. So mm-hmm. I think that people are concerned about that. And you obviously have the citywide concern that, that crime is going up and increasing in, in what would be considered sort of prime neighborhoods. I haven't seen that as much in Brooklyn. I, I, I find that more of the Manhattan-based owners are worried about that. But in Brownstone, Brooklyn, the areas that I handle, I think that we've, we've seen a little less uh, on the vacancy rates. It hasn't been as bad. I think because areas like Park Slope and Cobble Hill and Carroll Gardens and you know, even sort of the other side of the park areas like Prospect Lefferts Gardens and Flatbush, you know, people want to live here and um, the rent stabilized rents aren't increasing, so they're not going to leave. So I think we have a little less of that concern. Also in Brooklyn, sort of the Brownstone Brooklyn areas, I don't think, and I haven't seen, I'm on these streets every day, it's what I do with showing buildings. I haven't really seen the crime issue become sort of a, a big factor, but Obviously, people are worried about that because they're seeing the articles. That's all really good insight. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing all that. We were talking a little bit earlier before how you you live in Brooklyn with your family. And, and I love the fact that you're involved in the community and you're on the board of trustees of the Brooklyn Children's Museum, which is really a crown jewel. You know, I love going there with my family. And before you were in commercial real estate, you were an attorney. So talk to us, how, how did you get into commercial real estate? Well, I, I went into, you know, being an attorney. Originally, my father and brother were attorneys. So that was kind of the 
family calling. And I stayed in that for about five years. And I just found the sort of the hours, the lack of an entrepreneurial opportunity. And my wife and I were starting a family. And basically I said, this is not for me anymore. I need to find something that's more of my personality. And, you know, it turned out a lot of my friends uh, from college said, hey man, you've got, a, you've got a salesman personality. You should go into commercial real estate. And actually a really close friend of mine who I went to college with, the University of Rochester, uh, Matt Blesso, he, he said, you know what, go talk to my friends at Massey-Nackle. I think that's the place where you should be. And I went there and I loved the territory system and ended up uh, my first five years in this industry. My territory was a very small slice of Sunset Park, basically 39th Street to 65th and 4th Avenue to 9th Avenue. Wow. And I just, I always remember the first time I went there, I was on Fifth Avenue and it was like a South American country and you walk up to Eighth Avenue and it's one of the fastest growing Chinatowns. So I was pretty much smitten right away in real estate. And yeah, I just, when you're a real estate broker, you're, you know, part uh, expert in underwriter. You also have to develop an expertise in uh, psychology, frankly, for a lot of your clients. I kind of help them get out of their way sometimes. So in, in every respect, I, I've had a really, really fulfilling career. I love the people I work with. You know, uh, I'll, I'll complain to my associates sometime when it, sometimes when a deal goes south, but you know what, being in the middle of that action, especially the fact that we're still seeing a lot of deals take place during COVID is, has been better, better than ever for us. So you know, that's kind of my journey was to real estate. And by the way, you mentioned the Brooklyn Children's Museum earlier. A lot of people don't know this. It's actually the oldest children's museum in the United States. Wow, did not so, know. Yeah, and I, it, it really adds to sort of the being on that board allows me to be a little bit closer to the ground of what's going on with the actual people that live in Brooklyn, who need what services, where, where people are living. So uh, that's been a really fulfilling community engagement that um, I've enjoyed. Well, I give you credit for branching out on your own and having entrepreneurial spirit as a business owner myself. You walked away from the opportunity of Hess, Hess, and Hess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you know what? I, I was never, my, my uh, family lives in Florida, uh, my, my father and brother. I was never going back there. It's too slow for me. And you know, you're absolutely right. Same thing you did. It's a risk when you walk away from something steady to something entrepreneurial. But it, frankly, as soon as I started my, my first job at Massey in real estate, I felt free and I felt like every effort I made was going to come back to me monetarily. And that was, you know, I think that's why our country is such a fantastic place because you can go out, find your own thing and be successful. Absolutely. I love it. So you touched a little bit earlier on rent and rent roll. So even before COVID, there's been a lot of talk about how new rent regulation rules are affecting investment properties. Then COVID happens and we're seeing businesses shutter and people being laid off. What do you see happening with multifamily and mixed use properties now in Brooklyn? And where do you think the market's going to go in the future? Well, I'll tell you what we're seeing right now. Um, and obviously, first of all, business, businesses shuttering is not good for anyone. 
It's not good for what we were just talking about, the entrepreneurial spirit of Brooklyn and people being successful. And, you know, my wife and I, when we used to live on Fifth Avenue and Park Slope, we'd go to every little store there and she was friends with the shopkeeper and we'd see what they were doing. So, you know, it's never good when you have people out of jobs and business shuttering because that's part of, you know, these small businesses are part of the lifeblood of Brooklyn, what makes it different and unique. Absolutely. So I think, you know, there's a couple of interesting things I'm seeing. Probably the most interesting is, you know, I think, I think we all can be, be frank about it, admit that the pricing got a little bit crazy in Brooklyn because it was such a hot market and it became a global brand. And I think that what I'm seeing right now, and I think is going to continue to happen is the prices that you can buy properties for now, have really returned to sort of the you know, the nine, 2009, 10, 11 levels where people can buy and make money again, right? So you can buy a property right now at 10 times rental and a six cap. You can buy a five and a half cap in Park Slope, 10, 11, 12 times rental. And, you know, I think what that does, listen, it's a painful adjustment, but what that does is I think it revitalizes the market. It brings new buyers in. People can actually make money on it. I think you're going to see in the future, you're going to see volume pick up, right? People may make a little bit less when they're selling, but they'll still be able to sell. There are buyers there. And I saw this also, I was in the industry in 2008 and 2009. And what I saw happen was a lot of the old buyers went out of the market. And when the New York real estate market started to recover, new people came in. They could invest and, and actually get a much better high teens IRR when they exited the asset. So I think that all in all, despite the, the pain of a rough transition, you know, assuming everything gets back on track sooner rather than later with COVID, I think you're going to see a healthier ecosystem in commercial real estate because the, the levels you can buy at are more affordable. The deals make more sense. Volume will go up. And I think the other, the other part that I'm, I'm hoping plays out is, you know, quite frankly, rents for retail got very, very high. So you saw a lot of vacancies in Brooklyn because independent entrepreneurial businesses that we were discussing, you can't make money if you're paying $100 a square foot. And those little cool restaurants and clothing shops and bars are what make Brooklyn what it is and make it the, the place that people want to live, I think even over Manhattan. So I think owners, and I hope that owners, and I'm seeing it already, they're going to lower their expectations on retail. And you're going to see a lot of little cool businesses be able to survive and thrive, which if you're walking down Flatbush Avenue or 7th Avenue or 5th Avenue, you're going to have a much better, more varied experience if the rent's lower, like I think they will. And we're already seeing that. So I think overall, where we're headed in the future is actually a healthier ecosystem. And I think it'll benefit the market. As far as, I think you also asked about the rent stabilization rules. I mean, you know, those, those are priced into the market already. I mean, it happened in June of 2019. People said no one was gonna buy multifamily anymore. There was in fact, you know, probably a three to six month complete pause on people buying multifamily. But, I think the benefit of buying in Brooklyn and New York in general, even if rents are stabilized, is your income, 
you can depend on from the buildings. And I think the levels at which people are buying, they make more sense now. And you're still going to get price appreciation. So everyone predicted this huge exodus from you know, the Brooklyn and New York City market because of rent stabilization. I think that once things stabilized a little bit and the, the, there was a change in the law where they actually made the rent overcharge look back period, they put it back to four years. I think people got a little more comfortable with that and they decided we're gonna invest again. You know, listen, can I buy a higher cap rate in a, in a triple net business in Connecticut or Ohio or Texas, somewhere around the country? I can, but I'm not gonna see the appreciation. And if I have to replace a retail tenant, it's going to be much more difficult than one of those markets in New York. So I think that it's stabilized a little bit and people are looking and buying multifamily again. So, but you know, you combine the rent stabilization laws with COVID and certainly you have to see a big drop in transaction volume, but I do see that stabilizing in the future. Well, your optimistic outlook is good to hear. And I think whenever there's a pullback, there's opportunity. It's just a matter of finding that. Yeah, so- absolutely. And, and frankly, you know, the, some of the smartest people that I work with, they're buying now. You're also seeing family offices that they haven't bought in New York since 2000. They didn't want to buy in New York. They didn't want to be involved. They thought the numbers were crazy. You know, if you're a seller and you're dealing with a, a family office buyer, you know they're going to perform. So even if the prices are less, I, I think that it really benefits everyone to have the family offices buying again. And it benefits the tenants too, by the way, because if it's a family office that owns your building, instead of someone who's raising capital from a third party, I think they're going to take better care of their buildings. They're planning on keeping them for the next generation. So. So with everything we talked about, what advice would you give to property investors right now? I, I think it's the time to buy. If you can buy in the New York market, and if you want to be buying and owning real estate, I think that you're going to buy it at levels 10. Like I said earlier, you can buy something at 10 times rent roll. You can buy it at a five and a half cap. If you're holding these properties for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, these, this is the time, just like when the buildings I sold in 2008, 2009, 2010, people are going to look back and be like, wow. I bought at the right time. And other people are going to look back and say, why didn't I buy? Damn, I should have bought at that time. So I think that that's where it is right now. I think that there's an opportunity to buy. And I think that, and we've seen this before, the New York market, the real estate market in particular, it tends to recover a lot more quickly than the rest of the country. And I expect that to happen again. So I think that if you have an opportunity now to buy and you have the capital, now is absolutely the time. So I'd love your thoughts on the neighborhoods or particular types of multifamily investment properties that you feel hold the most potential right now, either for rental income, short-term or long-term growth. I think in Brooklyn, you're really, you're buying in the Brownstone neighborhoods. You're buying in Park Slope, you're buying in Carroll Gardens, Mm -hmm. you know, Fort Greene, Clinton Hill, these Brownstone areas, people are always gonna wanna live here. And you're not going to, you know, I don't think you're going to see the vacancy rates and those type of properties that you might see in other areas. And, and this sort of, 
inexorable movement of people uh, who go to Manhattan, you know, they, they find their significant other for life, begin thinking about having a kid. That's what happened with me and my wife. We met in Manhattan, lived there for 10 years and moved to Brooklyn where we have kids. And, uh, you know, we're, we're not unique. I think hundreds of thousands of people do that. And that flow of people to Brooklyn is not going to change. So even though we're definitely hitting a significant speed bump right now with COVID and the rent regulation laws. I think if you invest in these areas long-term, you're gonna see the appreciation. You're gonna be able to buy them now for a much better price than you will, I think in a year, six months when this clears up. So, you know, I think any of these brownstone neighborhoods, particularly Fort Greene and Clinton Hill, I think there's, you know, Park Slope and Cobble Hill, Carroll Gardens, Brooklyn Heights, those are already mature investment markets. But if you're looking at any, any of the other areas that are sort of brownstone lined streets, um, even Prospect Leffert's Garden, there's tremendous opportunity to buy there right now. And you're going to get appreciation. And I think your, your rents are going to be pretty stable and your vacancy rates are going to be pretty low. You might have a rough patch as long as COVID continues, but I think long term, you're going to be sitting in a very good position with cash flowing assets and good neighborhoods with good tenants. So your firm, Meridian Capital, offers a debt capitals markets platform, and your specialty is selling commercial investment property. Can you tell us a little bit about how Meridian combines its debt and sales platforms? And what are some of the financing issues and benefits you're seeing right now as someone who is closely involved in both the sales and debt markets? Right. Uh, you know, Meridian, I think that really we offer a huge advantage when we're involved in a transaction to both the buyer and the seller, right? It's great if you're a broker and you get an offer on a property and, and the seller accepts it. But I think a lot of brokers sort of say, all right, there's a term sheet out. I can sort of sit back, relax, and let the attorneys do their work. But really, one of the most important parts about a transaction is making sure the financing goes through, right? So at Meridian, we get a listing or working on a property, and we'll go right away to our debt teams and say, all right, what's a realistic lending scenario for this property? Right, so we can expedite the process a little bit for the seller because the buyer knows right away, all right, this is how much debt I'm gonna get, this is how I can underwrite it. Also, when we're analyzing the property for the owner and telling them what it's worth, right, a huge part of what it's worth is how much someone can borrow and at what rate. So I think that we can give them a little more accurate picture of what's gonna happen through the sales process upfront by knowing in real time exactly what kind of loan terms a buyer's gonna be looking at and then like I was saying before, once there's a term sheet out, once the deal is in contract, we really can closely monitor what's going on with the financing. If, and this is usually the case, the buyer says, all right, put me in contact one of, with one of your guys, one of your debt brokers. Many, many of the clients that we've worked with already work with someone. So it's just kind of an extra lever of control through the transaction to be able to you know, call the guys in my downtown Manhattan office and say, hey, what's going on with this loan? Do we have a commitment letter yet? Do we have a term sheet? Sellers want to know what's going on. They want to know what's going on at every stage. They want to know when the buyer's gotten a loan, when he's going to close. So I can call whatever debt broker from Meridian is working on and say, the deal doesn't get done without that. Um, and I think uh, you know everyone's pretty much familiar with Meridian and 
you know, if we're able to get a buyer, if we know about something where there's a new Fannie or Freddie program available and you can get the buyer's access to that, you can get more money for the seller because they're, they're borrowing at much better rates, right? Um, and as far as financing issues, which you mentioned, listen, everyone's dealing with the same thing right now. And I mentioned it earlier when we were speaking, uh, banks are pulling back. They're very, very, very conservative on their underwriting for any building with retail. So buyers have to put a lot more equity in. Um, so that's a challenge we're dealing with right now. Uh, banks are underwriting higher vacancy rates. They're underwriting much more conservatively for anything with retail. So, you know, I think that if you're going to get those deals done, you have to sort of think outside the box and have the investment sales broker and the debt broker work together to figure out, is there a bank out there that's more optimistic? Can we get them to them, get the buyer to them and, and make this deal happen where it otherwise might not? So, you know, I think that the, the sort of synergy between those two platforms has worked very well for us and our clients have been happy with it, both on the buy and sell side. Well, it sounds like a great benefit and another reason to work with Meridian Capital. So well, Adam, thank you. That. yeah, well, we thank you for being with us today, Adam, and we look forward to being in touch. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. Our pleasure. Make sure to tune into Brownstoner Podcasts and visit brownstoner.com for all of our future podcasts. Thanks again, Adam. Thank you.